We're going to start in John 19. Jesus is on the cross at this point in this scripture. And I just want to read three gospel versions of this particular episode while Jesus is hanging on the cross. John 19. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which in, is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And from Mark 15, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. And I'm not reading to you the Matthew's gospel version of this because he says nearly exactly the same thing as Mark. I just want to point out that Matthew and Mark say both thieves reviled him or cursed him. But then this is what Luke says. Luke says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So there are the gospel versions of Jesus and the thieves that he was crucified with, which is where I want to focus our attention this morning. Charles Spurgeon noted that the thief on the cross is the last man that Jesus was with in the world and the first man that he was with in heaven. That's that's a, a beautiful observation. That man is stated in Matthew and Mark that he, at first, apparently, he was cursing Jesus and mocking him along with the other man. But then Luke doesn't mention that. He just mentions him rebuking the other man on the other side of Jesus and telling him that Jesus was innocent. So what happened there? Something happened in this man's heart while he was hanging on the cross. Jesus being Jesus is Jesus even as he's about to die. I mean, you can see that in how he takes care of his mother. You can see that in how he prays for forgiveness for the soldiers and the Pharisees that are crucifying him. You can see his care, even as he's bearing the cross up the hill. He's praying for the dog. He says, don't weep for me, weep for Jerusalem. 
you daughters of Jerusalem. He's, he's caring about people, and I don't know. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us what made this second thief have a change of heart. But it's obvious that he did because Matthew and Mark tell us that he was cursing Jesus first, and then Luke says that he was completely different. The faith that this thief came to while he is hanging on the cross next to Jesus, I think has to be the greatest faith in Scripture. I wouldn't make that an absolute blanket statement, but just as I thought about this this week, I I cannot think of anyone who had greater faith than this because he's looking He's hanging here, nailed or roped to this cross, and he's looking sideways at this fellow criminal who is beaten and ripped up and bloody, and he's hanging on the cross. He's being executed, and he has a sign over the top of his head right there that says, the King of the Jews, which is a mockery by Pilate. But it's a prophetic sign, of course, that God put over his head. Everyone else is making fun of him. We just read it in the scripture. They're mocking him as the king. And this man looks over here at this guy wearing a crown of thorns, who has probably lost so much blood he can hardly breathe or speak. And he sees a king. That's faith. Everybody else in every gospel story came to a man who had power to fix their problem. They came with a need. They're blind or they're leprous or they need forgiven of sin. A couple of the disciples came with pretty wicked agenda. I want to sit next to you on your throne. And every single one of them, the apostles all admit later, every single one of them expected that today on Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem and they're waving their palm branches and Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David is returned. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And this thief with nails in his wrists, looking at a man with nails in his wrists and thorns on his head, cannot possibly think that kind of kingdom. How could he possibly come into a kingdom? It's a miracle, actually, of revelation in his mind and heart. Jesus being Jesus, as he's pouring out his blood on the cross, which is the Holy Spirit being released onto the earth, this man is the first man to get revelation. Everybody else in the Gospels except Jesus is living in the Old Covenant. This guy sees a spiritual kingdom. for He's the very first one. Nobody else gets this. Peter didn't. Mary Magdalene didn't. His mother didn't. Not John, not the crowds, not the Pharisees, not the Roman soldiers. Nobody else got it. If there was ever a moment of no hope for the kingdom of God to come and rescue Israel from Rome 
This is it. It's done. It's over. Our hopes are lost. So I'm fascinated with the faith of this thief. What could he possibly mean? What did he know? He tells the other thief on the other side, he's an innocent man. How did he know that? Had he been in the crowds at some point in the last three years? Had he heard, had he been to Jesus' revival meetings? And he heard the preaching and, and Jesus was his big time celebrity. Everybody would have known the name of Jesus in Israel by this time. He had been in his public ministry for three years. He had done so many miracles, including resurrections, that especially in the last two weeks, um, when he raised Lazarus, a week before the triumphal entry, which is today, Palm Sunday, and then, so it's been two weeks since Lazarus is resurrected, and now he's on the cross. I mean, he's on the, at the high point in his ministry, and then all of a sudden he's being executed. I think, probably, this thief, both of them, knew who Jesus was and had been. There's probably, it would probably be impossible that anyone in Israel had not heard of Jesus. Maybe, possibly, he had been in Jesus' revival meetings and then gone out and committed crimes. It's possible. Um, had he heard Jesus mention the kingdom of God in his parables? Because he did a lot. Jesus had told them over and over, it's a spiritual kingdom. It isn't an earthly kingdom, and no one got it. I can't prove it, but I suspect that this man knew who Jesus was, maybe even had been with him at some point, maybe in the crowd when he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000. Who knows? Uh, maybe he was in the crowd last week, waving a palm branch. I don't know. Probably not. He'd probably already been arrested and tried by then, but we can see from Jesus' trial, these things move pretty fast. It's not like the American justice system. We're going to arrest you last night and kill you today. He could have been in the crowd waving a palm branch a week ago. But he looks over at that bloody, mangled mess, that helpless man nailed to the cross that Isaiah says didn't even look human. Isaiah 52, 14. There were many who were appalled at him. His face was disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond human likeness. I watched a bunch of crucifixion scenes last night trying to find one to show you this scene there's a bunch of jesus movies you know some of them are good all but the mel gibson's the passion of the christ show jesus pretty unbloody actually and then in the passion of the christ you get a bloody mess but it is hard to look at how mel gibson did jesus on the cross but he still looks human he still has a face Isaiah says his face was gone, and he didn't even look human. He had been beaten with fists and rods so much, and the thief looks at this man and calls him Lord and King, when nobody else got it. Lord, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. Somebody finally 
Even Peter, James, and John, when they saw Jesus light up like the sun with Moses and Elijah, did not get it. John says so. We didn't understand until after the resurrection. This guy gets it. Jesus is about to enter his kingdom. That's spiritual sight. That's faith. That he would put his faith in this man who is minutes from dying. In fact, in Luke, he dies immediately next. The second thing I notice about this thief's faith is that he is nailed to the cross beside Jesus, and Jesus cannot do anything for him. Everybody else that comes to Jesus in the Gospels comes with a need or an agenda. And Jesus is very happy to heal people and provide food and to forgive sin and remove shame and counsel and give the word of God and to preach. But like I said, some of the disciples, their agenda is pretty selfish and wicked. But the man on the cross, when he calls Jesus Lord... He knows Jesus can't and isn't going to do anything for me. That's amazing faith. That is super rare. He doesn't ask to be rescued. The other guy does, and he chews him out for it. Why are you asking him to rescue us and making fun of him? He's the one who's being wronged here. We deserve to die. That's amazing. Jesus can't rescue him, and he knows it. His, his one question of Jesus is completely devoid of anything physical at all. He doesn't ask Jesus anything other than, remember me. I don't know how he knows it, but he knows there's a kingdom on the other side of this. Remember me when you get there. It's just relationship. This guy has no hope except the bloody mangled mess hanging next to him. And he puts his hope in that. Remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. The other thing that is amazing faith, that is a lot of times the opposite of what we do, even unconsciously, is that he can't do anything for Jesus. He truly, literally has to put his hope in Jesus Christ. And we all say that we do, but unconsciously we have a backup plan. When we meet Jesus, we know that he's our Savior and he forgives our sin, but, but our unconscious backup plan is that if he brings up the wrong things we've done, we're going to bring up all the good things we did. Well, Jesus, I was in church a lot. I gave some money. I volunteered in this and that, and I was a good person. This guy can't say anything. He has absolutely no defense. Because he's come to Jesus minutes before he dies, he has no chance to obey anything. That puts him in a helpless position of total faith. Either Jesus will remember me or he won't. And he asks to be remembered. 
which is a prayer for mercy. He can't make up for what he's done, and he doesn't try, and he doesn't ask to. He doesn't defend himself. Nothing. He is completely at Jesus' mercy. The absolute truth is that all of us are too. We are not good people. We are utter failures. And we are desperate. As desperate on our best day as we are on our worst day. We are as desperate when we're clueless, thinking we're doing well, as when we know that we are in big trouble. And this guy has to have pure faith in Jesus to get me to where he's going because I have nothing. I don't have any time to go make amends. I don't have any time to apologize. I don't have any time to obey him, to bear good fruit, to show repentance, to change my life. I don't have anything except that he would remember me and meet me and let me in. And he's the first one in. He just asks to be remembered, which is a prayer for mercy. And that is our prayer. Lord, remember me. That's ultimately, that is a beautiful prayer. It is a simple prayer powerful, pure prayer with no agenda. It's just hope. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So let's pray that right now. Not asking Jesus to do anything for us and not offering to do anything for him. Just Lord, I am at your mercy. Please remember me. Lord, thank you for the beauty and simplicity that you reveal in your heart. That you accept the one-sentence prayer of the thief next to you on the cross. And that is enough for his salvation that you would forgive everything he did, that you would love him, that you would be attentive to him while you were dying. Shows us so much about your heart, your willingness to forgive and to receive us into your kingdom. Lord Jesus, you are a beautiful man. You are so, so good. You don't require anything of us but faith. And wherever we find ourselves, even in the last desperate breaths of life, you receive our prayer. Thank you for saving this man. Thank you for receiving him into your kingdom. Lord, we ask now for the faith that he had, that you would release on us the same revelation of who you are, of what your kingdom is, that it is not of this earth. It's not for our earthly benefit, but it is spiritual and eternal. And that even as you are 
a mangled mess of torn flesh and blood wearing a crown of thorns with a mocking sign that says you are a king. We see that you are a king, that you are the greatest king, the greatest man ever, that you are the most beautiful man, that this is your glory, that this is God. Lord, we know that we have every right to come and ask you anything. You said so. And you are kind-hearted and good, and you will meet all of our needs. But it is also good for us to come with no need, no request, and no agenda other than that you would know us, that you would forgive us, that you would remember us when you come into your kingdom. So we pray that thief's prayer now, Lord, because that is who we are. We are the one who deserves to die, and you did not. We're the one that deserves to be on the cross, paying for our deeds. We ask you to remember us. And we believe that you do, just like you told him. We know that we will be with you in paradise that you will forgive us, that you receive our prayer and our faith. You even forgive our lack of ability to get it right when we try to obey you, Lord. He didn't have an opportunity, and we do, but we still don't do it. And you forgive even that. Thank you for your gentleness, for your kindness. Thank you for your faithful obedience. Thank you for drinking full the cup that the Father gave you. Even though we know that you asked to not drink it. You drank it down. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for opening your flesh, which was the word that had become flesh. You opened the word and released the life of the Spirit as your blood poured down the cross. The Holy Spirit was released upon the earth so that we can see into the Spirit and know that you are king and you have a kingdom. That this life is not all there is. It's not even the real world that it's not the eternal one. So Lord, we pledge now to live for that kingdom. To serve you in that world. Lord, we want to be your faithful servants even when you do not change our situation. We will praise you and obey you and love you. And when you do do miracles, we will praise you and love you and obey you. Keep our faith simple, Lord. Simple and clear. Thank you for the every price that you paid for our salvation and our healing, our redemption. Lord, we give you this week to keep our mind on you, 
We give you Thursday night and Friday to fast and pray, to watch and pray with you, to identify with you in your suffering. Lord, I pray that as we go through this, that you would open our hearts and our minds and even our bodies to more of you, that you would reveal to us who you are and what you have done, what you have given us. I pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room as we fast and pray here this week and in every person, in every body and mind and home. As we do this together, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on our congregation. I pray against distraction and weakness and interruption from the enemy that we would be able to keep our hearts and minds attuned to you during this time. Unify us, Lord, and make us one as you prayed that night in the garden. Lord, we love you and we bless your holy name. Amen.